0: Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.
1: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I've got Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Jason Staples on this podcast. So if it gets a little wild, forgive us, but we're going to try (laughs) something a little different. And guys, Carolina had another media availability And Greg, I'm going to start with you since you're the senior statesman of the bunch and ask, what is going on with the offensive line? Uh, I mean, we've talked about it over and over and over, yet every day that we get together to discuss it, it's different than it was the day before. Your take.
0: Yeah, I don't really know what to add to what we've already said about this position, but I always kind of go back to the point of, for whatever reason, there have been issues with some of these kids uh, on the interior. I mean, we know about Hatton's situation last year where he left the team for a couple weeks, came back. He, to my knowledge, he hadn't even been at camp since the first weekend this year. So the idea of him being able to be ready to start in time for Cal uh, is very unlikely. We'll have to see if he actually rejoins the team. Jared Cohen. We saw him work with the Ones a week or so ago uh, and then has missed several practices, but he's been at one of the practices in between. The fact that Larry Fedora went ahead and named R.J. Prince the starter at right guard speaks volumes about that situation. And then, of course, you got Khalil Rogers, who came in. The word on the street was that conditioning was a little bit of an issue for him this offseason. Is in town for a couple of days, decides <laughs> to retire, two weeks later comes back. And I think the fact that as soon as he came back, he was already with the second team kind of speaks to a little bit of the depth issues they have there on the inside. So, And you've that's got why a lot he of, came back, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think with the fact that, that Hatton was gone, they probably knew that, hey, we, we've got to have you know, somebody in here. He's a good option. So just a lot of um, interesting dynamics going on. Then you add in Bentley Spain's injury, to where now it looks like you know Sweet and Heck most likely will probably start against Cal. Uh, just it's it's somewhat of a mess, and that was the one position group other than tight end in coming into camp that we thought Larry Fedora should feel pretty good about, and he probably still feels good about it. But there's definitely some question marks there.
2: I was ready to name Jared Cohen the starter on Monday, right? I was, I was pumped to do that. You know, you had him there. You had R.J. Prince at tackle on Monday, and then today, no Jared Cohen, R.J. Prince at guard, and yeah, I mean,
0: and not only not only no Jared Cohen and R.J. Prince at guard, but Fedora actually named Prince starter, which to me, you know, the the. Uh, person that reads too much into things whatever the technical term for that would be uh, makes me say okay he probably just got fed up got frustrated and went ahead and named prince the starter just to be done with some of the drama
2: and it's unlikely it's unlike fedora to go ahead and name someone the starter because you always gotta have competition right so that's yeah it's definitely out of character
1: so it definitely means something here today gone today jason is (laughs) this stuff that is going on with Carolina's offensive line. I mean, you've been around Florida State a ton, and you've followed other programs as well. I mean, it's not normal, is it?
3: It's more normal than you'd think, and that's one of the things that I find. I, 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 I got to say, the opportunity to, cl- to cover multiple programs as closely as I have over the last few years has been really revealing to me about how perceptions work among fan bases and about what's just kind of normal and what's, what's really not. And it's been, I think the thing that's been maybe most interesting to me has been precisely how many people think, man, that's not normal. Is it about X, Y, and Z? And I'm going, well, last year, that's exactly what the, what the other what the other fan base was saying that I was listening to on. And, and I mean, I could, Actually, I think I'm going to do this in a few cases. I'm going to go back and pull statements from message boards from different teams and I'm just going to put up polls of from which fan base did this come? Because it could be talking about Larry Fedora, Jimbo Fisher, uh Steve Spurrier, heck even, you know, you get down to uh some of these others, uh, Kirby Smart and uh, the same critiques keep coming up and the thing about offensive line and this is why you know, you, it's so important to bring in so many bodies on the offensive and defensive lines is it's a high attrition position. It just is. First of all, it's hard to evaluate. Second of all, guys, you have very large human beings happening to run into each other as hard as they can over and over and over again. And you know what happens when you have that happening? People get hurt a lot. And so you know it's. This is not nearly as uncommon as people as people might suspect. The thing that's really unusual is to see an offensive line go through an entire season where you see all five starters playing in basically in in every game or next to every game. If you see say five to seven guys playing in every game, and say four guys playing at the same position on the offensive line through over the course of the season that's both extremely rare on the one hand and it's pretty it's pretty I can pretty well guarantee you that that offense will have a statistically unusually good year for that team it's just the way it works and you know it it seems like in every camp there's a position that gets bit by the injury bug or that gets that something happens and more often than not it's going to wind up on one of the lines of scrimmage and and, or one, one side of the line of scrimmage and this camp, it just happens to have, you've got that, uh, what seems to be unusual uh, or statistically improbable, but it's, it's much more normal than I think most of us appreciate. And I think if we went back through various camps over the years, you see, you know, this may be a little bit further out on the tail, you know, maybe 1.5 or two standard deviations out, but it, we're not, we're not far out. We're not that far out on the tail. This is still within relatively normal, normal stuff.
1: Greg, your opinion on Jason's point? We're talking about practice. I mean, not a game. Even... Not not a game. Practice. We're talking about practice, man. They can't even have. I mean, they've had issues having guys at practice. Like Chiswick talked about Mikey Bard that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, being present. And I think that's why maybe R.J. Prince is your starter at guard. Greg, would you agree agree with that? I mean, he's been there and been present, and you know. That matters, I would think, given the situation they've gone through. Yeah,
0: for sure. And I actually think you know, Nick Polino is probably going to be the starter at left guard for that same reason. I mean, Polino, every time that we've been at a practice, really even dating back to the spring, is he's been right there at left guard, primarily taking reps with the ones, and if not with the ones, back in the spring, some with the twos. And you know, just, just being there, like you said, is, is very important for chemistry purposes, uh, for trust issues with the coaches, and so th- that's why I was a little a little surprised that Fedora didn't go ahead and name Polino as a starter as well. <laughs> but you know, it, we'll have to see exactly how it goes. You, it, it is interesting given what Jason said, and I agree with him. Um, and I, I think we could have a wide-ranging discussion about perspective relatively to you, not only injuries but to expectations to optimism amongst fan bases because it is very interesting to me how you know we can post a a story about a kid that people haven't really heard a lot about and people all of a sudden read it and say man this kid is going to have a breakout year he's going to be another stud for unc and it kind of piles up and so by the end of camp you're saying this team's going nine and three easy right (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they got to maybe 10 and two. And when everybody around the country starts doing that, I mean, you kind of understand how, how that's not feasible or realistic. So I, I do think it's a unique situation. North Carolina has been fortunate more likely than not more often than not in recent years along the offensive line. I mean, we all know 2000, They weren't last year, right? For sure. And 2015, I mean, is a great example. Uh, where they, they avoided an injury really across the board, and you pair that with a good schedule, and wow, you know, they take advantage of a golden opportunity. And that that's sometimes what it takes.
3: Yeah,
2: and usually it's uh, UNC's had so much trouble with defensive linemen staying on the roster. You had Marlon Dunlap leave. You had the guy from Virginia never get to campus and going to Florida, I forget his name. You had Greg Webb not cutting it academically so you had tons of guys on the defensive line which is super hard position to recruit to because guys that big and that fast don't grow on trees so usually for UNC I feel like there's this trend of defensive linemen that have not panned out or you know left the team but now obviously it's offensive line so the the days of Lucas Crowley, Caleb Caleb Peterson and uh, John Hecker are gone those stalwarts who are three to four year starters.
1: Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And since you brought up the defensive line, Ross, I'll stay there with you. I mean, the defensive line— whoever trots out with the starters, the defensive lines are going to play eight, maybe ten guys, and those guys are set. Don't you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the whole— I mean, the whole camp—we've been talking about this number of how many guys they can roll out. You know, some players are saying twelve and thirteen. Coach uh, Papuchas dropped, you know, maybe eight, eight, nine guys. And we talked to the defensive players today after practice. And that number's probably around eight or nine. And there's not really like a starting four. You know, there's guys that have started before who are on the too deep in this with the second team. But I think there's a lot to be excited about when you look at what Tamon Fox can bring as a redshirt freshman. You know, we've seen what Aaron Crawford can do in some limited time. A healthy Dewan Drennan, Jalen Dalton is a guy that I think a lot of people are expecting a lot from if he can live up to potential. I think the the skill set and the the natural abilities there for him. So I think there's I mean, there's some new names. Alan Cater, Jason bridge has been kind of a quiet guy that we've heard some buzz about as well. And Malik Carney, you know, he he showed that he can play last year. So there's just a lot of guys that I think will play and definitely play and, and be impact players. And the key word is, is they're gonna be more aggressive. And you know JP seems like a little bit more aggressive coach than Gene Chiswick. and I think that he has some talent and some experience to kind of do what he wants to do with some different schemes and different sets, and just be a a, a more aggressive defense than last year.
1: Jason, is there a number that's too many for defensive linemen? I mean, can you rotate too many guys during a game, or if? If you've got them and, you, and the talent doesn't drop off significantly, they can rotate eight, 10, 12 guys per game and be all right. What's your take on that number?
3: Um, you know, I think you can make a case that in some, that, that you can rotate too many overall. I think the main thing is, if it, the, the, the main thing is the question of whether or not what you said about there not really being an appreciable drop-off is really true if that's true then i don't think that you can really rotate too many necessarily it depends on how how you're rotating as much as anything i think you do need to have some level of continuity in terms of the players that are playing together particularly you know as you get into crunch time and so on you need to know that you know these four these six and so on have really repped together enough that they're comfortable that they know that, you know, this guy is going to fill this, this way, you know, that there, there's some chemistry there, but if you're rotating, especially if you're able to platoon and do some of that stuff, generally speaking, you're better. You know, if you've got eight, you're better off than if you got six. And if you got 12, you're better off than if you've got eight, because again, a guy that is a hundred percent that's able to play at a hundred percent, energy is going to be better than the same level of talent guy that is playing at 80%. And if you can keep those guys tanks closer to full, what really matters is, is late in games that, that then you can go with the guys that you're most comfortable with, or, you know, your best guys. And they're a little bit more, they're a little bit fresher and, you know, offensive lines start to slow down a little bit. You might get a little additional pressure, get some tackles for loss and so on late in games. The other part, though, that, that I think a lot of people don't really take into account, when, and, and I think it's the most important part about depth, uh, has to do with how depth impacts you over the season. So it's not so much about rotating that many guys in a game. The question is, how many, how many reps does a guy have to take in practice? How many reps, does, how many reps over the total of the season? Are, we having, are you having a guy that's having to take 900 reps Say at defensive end over the course of the season because you don't have somebody else to fill in. Well, you know, by the time you get late in the season, guys do get worn down. I mean, by the time you hit game three or four, guys start wearing down. And if you're able to rotate more bodies in practice, you're able to get guys a little bit more rested during the week, guys stay fresher. If you're able to rotate during games where, you know, maybe a guy takes 30 or 40 plays instead of 80, you know, you take 30 plays a game. And then by the time you get to games eight, nine, 10, 11, then you really see the difference of that, of that rotation. So I think short answer is no, I don't think you can really, if, if you're dealing with, you know, comparable skill level and talent and so on, I don't think you can rotate necessarily too much. I mean, I think beyond 12 or so is probably about the, about the cap. But you know, under that, I think you can you can really benefit, and and by the end of the year, you start really noticing the difference as as other teams are getting banged up and slowed down and so on, and and you're going to be less likely to have those issues, and you're going to be a lot a, a lot quicker and a lot fresher late in the year, and you're more you're less likely to get hurt. You know, more injuries happen when guys are are, are a little bit tired than when they're fresh. So that that also you know that's the sort of perverse aspect of this. If you're Alabama and you have all that extra depth, you're actually more likely to stay healthy than a team that doesn't have Alabama's depth because those guys don't have to play all game. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just the way it works.
2: Quick question for you, Jason. Today I saw Taman Fox and Malik Carney as the two defensive ends in, in a set. They're both about 6'3", 235, 245. Is that something that UNC will use, to, that small of a defensive end, Going against you know three hundred pounds, six six, six seven tackles.
0: Oh, I absolutely think a, they will. That was a nickel package, by the way. Yeah,
3: I absolutely think so. I think so. And and actually, when you hear Papuchas talking about getting aggressive, getting a little bit more aggressive, yeah. I suspect that part of what he's talking about is not so much we're going to blitz more, but we're going to have some edge rushers out there, particularly in passing down situations and nickel packages and things like that. We're gonna get we're gonna get a little bit quicker packages out there to try to get more edge pressure and get up the field a little quicker with some of those guys because they have that personnel. So, do I expect them to line up with two with a pair of two hundred and thirty pound ends on first and ten against a team that wants to run a lot of power stuff? No, but on third and seven, I absolutely expect their two best pass rushers to be out at defensive end, and and that's probably the best pair right now.
1: Unless they're unless it's in Miami on the goal line.
3: Yeah, well, that – oh, God, don't even get me started on that.
1: (laughs) Go ahead, Greg. To
0: to wrap up kind of the defensive line discussion, a couple points. Number one, in speaking with Aaron Crawford and and Jeremiah Clark, both guys who are North Carolina's primary nose tackles, they both said that their primary emphasis this offseason was getting better at rushing the passer. So they know they've had success being able to, to generate a little bit of run stoppage even though I know the stats may not suggest that, uh, they have made more of an emphasis to get better uh, at getting into the backfield, to get some some more sacks, tackles for loss, all those kind of things. And that's, I think that speaks to the overall mindset, kind of like what, what uh, Jason said there. And you know, talking with Deke Adams, he wants those guys to be able to get off the blocks easier, uh, have more success without kind of getting out of their lanes. And then the other thing is is that They've got ten guys. So you've got your your two deep with Fox and Drennan, Carney and Powell at the ends, Crawford and Clark, Dalton and Strobridge inside. Dalton and Strobridge, of course, at the three technique. Then you've also got Alan Cater at defensive end who is rotating as a fifth option there. And then the true freshman, I believe he's out of Durham, Jordan Riley, who has had apparently a a great offseason, a great training camp. They think he can work in.
3: He's got a great frame, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, he does. He's got a quick step as well. So I think you've got a solid two deep for sure, but I think it's interesting in watching how they've got things set up for game week. They're using five guys, both at end and at tackle. And it probably speaks to what Jason was was talking about in terms of making sure you have enough bodies, not just through practice, but to get some of those other guys, Cater and and Riley, some snaps and games so you can keep the play count down.
1: Well, y'all saw him working a lot of nickel in practice. I mean, we've talked over and over and over about, you know, whether it was Vic Koenig's style of defense versus Gene Chizik and the 4-2-5 and the 4-3 or whatever. But, (laughs) uh, I mean, Jason, they – no, I'll go to Ross. Ross, they're going to be a nickel most of the time anyway this year, it looks like. (laughs) Uh, um, So your take on that, I mean, does that make a difference – being in the nickel versus who's on that defensive line? I mean, are, are they going to specialize guys depending on the situation? Jason may be better to speak on how the defensive line works in a, in a nickel,
2: but I, will, I did talk to some guys about the nickel defense, and I saw Andre Smith and Cole Holcomb as the two nickel linebackers, which was the same thing as last year, and they took Case and Collins off. And then you saw – I think what's interesting is you have MJ Stewart move to the nickel spot at cornerback and you brought in um kj sales what, what we've been seeing is bringing on kj sales and then either Corey bell or patrice renee kind of those three roti- rotating in there with miles dorn and donnie miles and so that's just obviously put more speed on the field um but i, can't, I don't know if i can really speak to what would they do def- defensively on the defensive line in terms of the nickel there but that's what i saw today at practice but mj stewart was kind of held out of practice today which is important to note as well but i think he'll be okay jason
3: I mean, really. I mean, the thing that people forget is that the four-two-five or the nickel is really just a four-three with a different guy in in the secondary in the Sam linebacker spot. That's you know Alabama and others. You know they call it the star or you know uh michigan last year put peppers in there and they call it the viper position you know it, and of course you know and when uh coning was here he called it the bandit right Or i guess no that was the ram the bandit was their uh right, hybrid yeah. end. the ram yeah, but they call it the ram right you know everybody's trying to come up with a sexy name for the nickel position which is really what it is and it's just basically to glorify it for players who otherwise would see playing the nickel as oh so you're telling me i'm our fifth best defensive back no 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 no, no. We're, we're saying this is a special role For a guy that can play in this spot that has to do multiple things, but you know up front, there's really not a whole lot different. You're still running an uh, you know either an even or an odd front. You got two choices. You got you know either a four man front, or you're going to run some version of a three or five man front. And what you do with that is is going to be basically the same as you would in in a in say a standard four three. The personnel may change a little bit. Again, it has to do with situational substitution. That's if you're not playing a hurry-up-no-huddle team that will force you not to be able to substitute. But generally speaking, you want to sub a little bit quicker package in there because you're not as worried about just getting blown off the ball for a three-yard gain on, say, third and eight. You want to be able to get to the quarterback and be able to to create some havoc. So ideally, in the nickel package, you're going to get guys that are able to get penetration in that one-gap type thing. Uh, where, you know, each guy is responsible for one gap and you shoot that gap and try to get upfield unless you're playing uh, <laughs> a guy like uh, like Jackson and and uh, for Louisville the, the second week. If you're playing Lamar Jackson, well, you may one gap that, but you're telling him, ah, maybe you don't want to get upfield too quickly because if you do, well, you know, he can gut you uh, with his legs. But beyond that, it's really the same. I mean, it's just uh, just basically you may change personnel uh, some teams are doing, you know, I think Carolina calls it their NASCAR package. I've seen others that call it rabbit package or whatever, where you substitute, you put say a Dewan Drennan or someone like that at a defensive tackle position because offensive guards in college generally do a very poor job of blocking speed rushers. Uh, that's why they're guards. Uh, so, you know, t- defensive coordinators have gotten smart with that and they've put defensive ends who can actually rush from the inside on the inside and a lot of longer yardage nickel packages for for better pass rush and they there've been some teams that have been very very successful with that i mean uh, actually DeMarcus Walker i think had 16 and a half sacks i think it was for Florida State doing that last year uh something like 11 or 12 of them were from that defensive tackle spot in those long yardage rush situations rather than from his normal end position so you can tweak what you're doing up front on the defensive line with that sort of thing but it really is the same thing it's just a matter of whether you're you're Altering your personnel, or or, or you know, account- accounting for the the less likely, the lower likelihood of uh, of a run actually being a, a productive play there.
0: And Jason's still in a little bit of my thunder there, but I was, I was <laughs> going to bring up the the NASCAR package. And I think when you've got a guy like Strobridge, who has you know, came in as a defensive end and they expected yeah, to an play ideal. end, they put some pounds on him, moved him inside. Uh, you know, I, I keep hearing how quick he is and how They think he can be very effective as a pass rusher. But then you've also got Tyler Powell, who uh, is playing defensive end really out of necessity, but he started his career at tackle. And then the other thing I was going to say, just in terms of terminology, (laughs) when when Butch was here, very distinct roles. You had your nose, you had your three technique, you had strong side, you had weak side defensive ends. That's not how Deke Adams um, is, is laying this defensive line out. You have concrete nose tackles you have concrete uh, rush three technique tackles but at defensive end they're not distinguishing between strong side weak side i would imagine that has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of teams are playing with detached tight ends anyway but the fact that all of these guys are able to play either side uh, allows you a lot more flexibility it allows you to be able to put corny and fox on the field at the same time uh, without there being much concern about those guys knowing what to do. And if you need to go with Drennan and Powell gets Georgia Tech for whatever reason because of the run concepts, you can do that as well. So I think it gives you a little bit of flexibility there on the edge uh, by taking that approach.
1: Greg, is it surprising to you that Cole Holcomb and Andre Smith would be your starters in that nickel set and not a guy like Kason Collins that's supposed to be you know the most athletic or at least the one of the fastest guys out there?
0: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Kaysen is the Will linebacker, even though in this defense he's called the Sam linebacker. But he's still the weak side uh, option. But Yeah, Holcomb's a good athlete, so it's not like some lumbering, you know, big linebacker, old school guy back there. I I think for whatever reason they like what he brings to the equation in those particular sets. I know he had success there doing it at times last year. Uh, But I also think the fact that you've got a guy like MJ Stewart Uh, who's very smart, who's very quick, who can do a lot of things on the inside. I think that alleviates a lot of those concerns anyway, and it really is, like Jason said, just kind of adding a a, a different linebacker back there. So at that point, it just becomes, you know, what does Eckler like uh, alongside of Smith as the middle linebacker? And I I guess we could see both guys alternate. I, I don't know exactly what the game plan is there, but I don't think it's a big deal it being Holcomb over. Collins
2: and I think all are capable I think both can make plays and both are athletic enough to cover and to and have the strength to to play the linebacker position so I don't think there's concern there as to whichever one is manning that spot
3: I think I, I agree with that too I, I think that this group of of linebackers in some ways is a little again similar to some of the the defensive linemen in this is a little more interchangeable than some have been in the past as well
1: let me ask you this. Somebody on the message board asked, any informed guesses as to who starts at cornerback in the base, in the base set and in the nickel? I mean, like we've already talked about, they're going to be in the nickel most. But, Ross, your take on if you line up straight up, who are your starting corners? Does MJ Stewart move out to that corner position? Yeah, MJ's going to play
2: the whole game. I mean... <laughs> If that's – I mean, if that's – I mean, he's going to be in the, whatever they need an important, important plays to be in there. I think K.J. Sales is your second corner. Uh, Patrice Renee is coming off an injury. I think K.J. KJ Sales is a little bit of an athlete. Patrice Renee is a lot bigger. But I think uh, we haven't seen much of K.J. Sales. I just have that feeling that he's going to win that spot in the base defense.
1: Greg, we've been talking about Corey Bell, Corey Bell, Corey Bell, and now K.J. Sales maybe has moved ahead. Is I think that's another interchangeable type situation. Yeah. Your take on that?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I agree with Ross that Stewart's got one of the, the positions locked down. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how they want to use him at corner just because I know Warren liked to move him around and, and cover the other team's best receiver at times. And so it wasn't necessarily a field versus boundary because he could do both. Uh, but I think Rene uh, probably is the, the guy that's going to be the, the primary second starter. And then at nickel, um, you know, we've heard a lot about Bell coming in as that third corner on the, on the perimeter. We've heard Sells. you know, Trey Shaw is going to play a lot. So I would say that you're looking at Renee probably as the number two CB and then Sells and, and bell working as that, that number three CB coming in and, and the nickel, that would be my guess. And then Trey Shaw and Greg Ross are going to play plenty.
2: Greg Ross is a name we haven't heard all camp until today because of uh Stewart's absence. He got some time there with the twos, I think. I was a guy who I really liked coming out of high school, but he has been buried on the depth
1: chart all camp. That's, That's- uh, You're going to make people nervous talking about MJ Stewart in a <laughs> different color jersey. Um, Jason, let me ask you this. I'm going to go ahead and jump to the quarterbacks. And somebody asked me, and it's actually in Ross's notes about the quarterback center snap com- and this is what message board people think about quarterback center snapping combinations to start practice and somebody said oh my god Rats with cam dillard that means he's going to start oh yeah D- does that kind of stuff jason matter i mean obviously you want to be familiar <laughs> but I mean- let me just let me break in there
2: i walked out there at the beginning of practice and that's what i saw and i was like wow where is uh where's Brand harris where's uh Where's Logan Bird? And apparently they came back out. So I just—I guess they just weren't on the field yet. And Chaz, <laughs> Elliot, Chaz, Nathan, and Manny were just there first taking snaps. So I was like, "Oh my gosh, where are these two other guys?" And I knew exactly the reaction that the board would give <laughs> to those you, notes yeah. you because like, I, was just, I was just reporting what I saw. So yeah, all right, go ahead, Jason. Oh, mercy, <laughs>
1: Jason. Let me let me clarify my point a little bit. Heck talked about in the audio we had earlier in the week about maybe the difficulty or the challenge of getting four guys reps and you know how that works. I mean, you've worked with quarterbacks. So small things like this, the, the centers, who's, who's the center for what quarterback people pick up on, but talk to me about that process that this staff is having to go through to get one guy ready, two guys ready for California.
3: Well, if anything, the, the, the main thing is if you're going to go under center you got two quarterbacks who are lefties. And and so you got to make sure that those guys get reps with any of the centers that they might be in there with. So you got two lefties and two righties which, you know, snapping under center to to a lefty versus a righty, depending on how you coach it, some coaches really don't change much. They actually have the lefty take the snap like a righty and then they just have the 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 center change where the where the laces are relative to his hand. Other other coaches have them have them snap it very differently, but either way, you have to be familiar with with the guy you're getting snaps from. You know, for for gun snaps, it really doesn't matter much as long as the guy puts it on you. You know, the quarterback should, just needs to catch it. But under center, you know, you got to get that work in every day. If you got guys that are going to play or that may play, then they need to make sure they get at least some reps with all the centers that they may may be in there with. So I think that's a, that's it as much as anything. And the other thing is if you got a couple guys that are lagging getting out of the out of the locker room or getting out onto the field, they're you know, these players are taught don't waste time. You know, you, you're only given 20 hours, so when you get out there, centers start snapping, quarterbacks whoever's out here start taking snaps and get those reps in. Make sure you do that so that, you know, you're 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 moving along. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh I would say that again, it's something that I would I would want to make sure if I were if I were coaching that yeah, you may not have all four guys getting equal reps in, in scrimmage time, and equal reps and, you know, 7 on 7 and all that stuff, but I would definitely want all of them making sure that they took center snaps and and, and worked on that exchange in the base part of in your individual part of uh, practice and that warm-up period and all that when you do some of those fundamental things, you have to do that. And, you know, it's it you, the last thing you want is somebody to get hurt or, you know, something happens and now you have a guy go out there and he hasn't taken snaps from this guy in in 2 weeks and now now you, you end up with a fumble that costs you a game. That That's that's a big deal. So I wouldn't read into it beyond that.
1: Greg, let me ask you this, and Jason, maybe you'd probably be making speak to it more, but you mentioned something that kind of caught my ear, and it's a lefty taking snaps from center. You know, I would think that my left hand would be on top. Greg, does Kapilovic coach it differently, or do, do they do it how they prefer it, or mean? Do you know how that works? Because I can't remember the last left-handed quarterback Carolina had um for us to even talk about this.
0: No, I'll let Jason answer that. I know. <laughs> you
3: know, actually no I, hold him. No <laughs> you know, The funny thing is I this is something I, I didn't even pay attention to last time I was in practice. Uh, you know, I'd have to ask Hack how he's got his guy doing it. But uh my my guess is that they probably have him taking snaps like righties with the right hand on top, which is
1: which is a common way to do it. But I, for I would the have center. To I mean, I mean, for the center, it's just you got a hand. It doesn't well, matter which the hand. Center,
3: the center is going to snap with with his strong hand either way.
1: I mean, you I'm know. talking about him, the quarterback getting the ball from the center. The center, it doesn't matter whether it's a lefty or righty, and it's an odd combination, it's an odd discussion. But how many times have we seen fumbled snaps like you just mentioned cost ball games?
3: Yeah, you know, it it does matter. I mean, the difference between having your right hand on top or your left hand on top, you think about it, the ball's not round. So the way that it's designed with a a right-handed center snapping to a right-handed quarterback with the right hand on top, he pulls that ball, you know, pushes that ball back through his legs, coming, you know, a snap under center, pushes that ball back at a little, like a 45-degree angle such that it fits right into that top hand. You know, that right hand. So that, you know, ideally the quarterback gets the laces in his hand and then pulls away from center that way. Now, if you've got a lefty and he's coming in the other way, the ball actually would have to be either turned a different way, uh, you know, which is some, how some guys do it. There are other things that you can do, but a lot of guys actually still just have their lefties take it with their strong hand on bottom. And that just means that the, the ball's handed back at the same angle, it's just where the laces are is different so the the center has to grip the ball differently himself to make sure that the laces are delivered properly to the hand to the to the bottom hand instead of the top hand that's that's i think these days probably the more common way to do it it's the way that you know it's the way i would coach it uh but honestly i didn't pay you know this is something i should have i should have watched myself but you know when i was when i was last in a practice i didn't pay attention to uh to to how heck was doing it and i didn't ask him about it uh didn't didn't occur to me to uh to think about it, given the, the lefties in, in there, but, um, might be worth, uh, next time we, uh, we get a, we get a look at it to see exactly how they're doing it.
1: Yep. That's your, uh, yeah That's your, uh, this is, we we, <laughs> we get into the nuances of everything on these <laughs> podcasts. Uh, yeah. I think
0: Ross, give just me just set us up with that one.
1: Well, no, I just, I mean, I thought about it. Everybody talks about, oh, the ball spins differently. You know, if you've got a left hand left-footed punter, you, it's completely different. I can see that. I never thought about, you know which hand a left-hander might take the snap from center from uh, the first time somebody fumbles a snap I guarantee you people will refer to this podcast well,
3: and this is why ideally you know you you hope that uh when when you have a lefty go in right after a righty if you know he has to fill in for injury you hope you're in the gun <laughs> you know you want to be in the gun <laughs> you don't want to yeah. have to be in a quarterback sneak situation where the guy's up under center and in North Carolina's offense this is moot most of the time because they, they don't do a whole lot under center.
0: Tommy offered a good uh, question for the masses, a good trivia question, and UNC's last left-handed starting quarterback. That's I really got all question. the way back to Stanisak, and he was right-handed, so it's got to be before Stanisak. But I will say that North Carolina has had left-handed quarterbacks on the roster, and, and asking guys over the last decade if that kind of thing matters, You're asking wide receivers and tight ends if catching the ball from a lefty is any different, they pretty much say it's, you you could tell a difference initially, but it's really negligible.
3: Yeah, I never really noticed that big of a difference. I mean, you it'll you notice it the first couple times and then it's just it doesn't really matter much, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much the exact quote from players I've asked.
1: We shall see. Uh Ross' been trying to ask you this question for about <laughs> five minutes now, but talk that. to me about talk to me about Bo Corrales. I mean, you've been high on him and you talk about him in your scoop today uh this kid's going to play um uh, would you think yeah i mean i think greg actually was the first to kind of talk about his i mean
2: his body early in the preseason camp you know he looks very physical in terms of just his leg strength and um you know his thighs and then his upper body he looks very developed and i knew that he was going to play as a freshman when i was at a prospect camp in june and got tipped off for the fact that he was going off he was going over hand signals and the offense with a staffer, like a essentially a, grad, a, a GA or a staffer over Skype. So in April and May and June, before he got on campus, he was video chatting with a staffer learning the offensive play signals, which I thought was very interesting because I'd never heard that before. So obviously Coach Brewer, the wide receivers coach, knew this guy had a chance to play and wanted to get him a head start in the offense and learning everything. Cause it, it is complicated and something that a lot of young receivers struggle with. And I think he's jumped a guy like Juval Juval and Lett, who's been with the system for three years, struggled with soldier, sol- shoulder surgery and provide and Bo provides UNC with that deep threat. Maybe not a deep threat as much as like an end zone threat, possession receiver, a big target. And that's what they needed after Matt Collins and Buck Howard. And before that Quenshaw Davis left. So it was a concern. They didn't have that big long armed receiver. I think Bo Cross can fill that role. You know, it is a lot to kind of jump in and be. It is a play as a freshman. You don't know how good he's going to be, but he has the tools. I think Coach Cap was impressed with his athleticism, saying that he's more than just a possession receiver. That he has a little twitch, little quick uh, quickness to him, and he can definitely be a player. So, you know, I think he'll play this year for sure. And I think he develops into a uh, to a nice wide receiver for UNC. I think he has all the tools, and um, I think the staff really found kind of a diamond in the rough there you know he didn't have too many offers he had like indiana and kind of vanderbilt and kind of like this you know mid-level power five offers but um unc kind of got in on his recruitment kind of late and um hopped in and, and snagged him so i think it's a, a good pickup and you know he passed a guy like jt coffin who we haven't talked about at all who, who came in at january so testament to his work and how much the staff kind of believe in him
1: Greg, the importance of Stanton Truett being back at practice. Of course, with the caveat that there have been others that have shown up one day and been gone the next, but Stanton Truitt actually getting reps on the practice field, that's got to be a good thing for the running back position.
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, you, you got to have bodies there. And we knew coming into camp that even with the guys that they had, they were thin. You don't move two linebackers to running back if you're not thin at a position. Also young with Brown and Carter there. Those guys have been in orange jerseys all camp long. Thursday was the first day I've seen Carter without an orange jersey on since the first day of camp. And Truett has, has missed, I don't know, a week or two now. So the fact that he's actually back is critical for what they want to do. I mean, this is going to be an offense where they're going to have to try to run the ball a lot. We're going to see jet sweeps. We're going to see a lot of read option. We're going to see a lot of the diamond package where you've got a tight end and A-back uh, alongside of the quarterback with maybe you know running back in behind him. You're going to see a lot of unique looks to be able to generate a run game to take pressure off the quarterback for one, but to also kind of give, give this offense a little bit of identity because if you can run the ball clearly, that helps you in so many other regards. I think that's one of the reasons that that Harrison and Surratt are the primary options, and those are the guys that are going to take the most reps at quarterback this year. But that you, you've got to start your run game at the running back position. So with a guy like Truett, who actually has a little bit of experience, not a whole lot, but a little bit, that, that's definitely a positive to have him back in the fold.
1: Jason, old hat, I'll let you close the show. Tell me something maybe we should talk about or think about talking about. Or for the fan base to pay attention to next week with game becoming game week. I mean, what changes for this football team or for a football team when you get into that lead up right before the season opener?
3: Well, I mean, the main thing is that you start tightening down who gets reps. You know, during camp, you're trying to get a good feel for who who's got who can do what, And it's not until late in camp that you start to really narrow down. You know, usually second scrimmage kind of you start to narrow down a little bit. And then after that, you start to narrow down even more in terms of who's getting what reps. And then by the time you get to, to preparation week, now, now you know, you know, who's going to be in what rotations and who's going to be, you know, the depth chart starts mattering at that point. Uh, so that's one thing. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what, what the depth chart is really going to be going into that game. And I'm curious to know who's going to get how many reps say at the quarterback position, you know, are they going to give Brandon Harris all the ones or are they going to give Harris and Surratt one, you know, one reps this week? I mean, how, how are they going to divide up some of those reps in this, in this preparation week is, is, is what I'm interested in going into that game. Because I mean, most of the rest of it at this point, we, we kind of, we kind of know, or we know we're not going to know until we see them go out on the field for Cal. So, so that's, that's really what I'm, I'm wanting to know is who's getting, Who's running with what groups and, and who's getting what reps is is, is really the thing to watch in, in that first week.
1: Good stuff, Greg. What kind of availability does media get game week? I know Fedora's press conference is Monday.
0: Correct. Yeah, we got the, the press conference on Monday, which, which Fedora loves, and he gives us all kinds of great information. <laughs> and then we get uh, post-practice. Offense, right, Ross on Tuesday, and then defense and Fedora on Wednesday. Those are always good opportunities to talk with players and the the assistant coaches, which typically provide a lot of content.
2: Yep, and, and, and they got and, uh, the radio uh, show on a uh, radio show on Tuesday at top of the hill, and the ACC teleconference on Wednesday around noon.
0: Then we can we can shut up talking and we can get ready for game day because I know Thank all god us. Everybody on the website, every everybody everywhere is going to be psyched for, for not only games Thursday, but for when all of them start on Saturday.
1: Yep, and inside Carolina, Greg, you and I, and hopefully Ross and Jason, whether you know it or not, you'll be involved in some form. We'll have a pregame show on WCHL, so that should be interesting to listen to. Guys, I hope me giving each of you less reps keeps you fresh for the season. Uh, It's been fun, a little bit unorganized, but I hope our listeners enjoyed it. First and foremost, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tommy. See you, Tommy.
0: Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.